Let's open in prayer. God, I just thank you. I thank you for, for you. I thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for, for giving us your word. Thank you for highlighting particular scriptures. Like, it might be difficult to highlight all 66 books of the Bible in every word. But when you highlight particular verses to us, they're, they're, they're verses that you can write on our minds and you can write them on our hearts and, and we can hang them in our walls and our homes and that we can, it can always be these flags that bring us back to you and back to your heart. God, help us be people who know you and help us be people who make you known. We need your help. So please uh, speak to us today, inspire us today, teach us from your word today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I love restaurants. Is anyone here like going out to eat? Yeah? Is there anyone who doesn't like going out to eat? Like, well, I love restaurants. What do you love about restaurants? I, I, I love the food. I love the quality of the food. Generally, restaurants uh, have good quality food. I, and I imagine if they don't, they probably won't be a restaurant for very long. But they have great food. I, I, I love when people come and serve me. You know, there's people that come and generally they smile, you know, and, and they're kind and, and, you know, they probably need to be otherwise they won't keep their job. But, um, but they're kind and, and they come and serve you. And, and, um, and I love that because somebody else is cooking and because somebody else is, is serving, I can actually focus on the person I'm there with because I, I, I tend not to go to restaurants on my own. I tend to go there on purpose with people because it's a beautiful opportunity to share life with someone. Um, and so, which for me would normally be my wife, uh, even though, you know, we got four kids, so it doesn't happen often, but, um, but it's a beautiful time to not worry about the cooking, not worry about the serving, and actually just focus on the person who's there. It's wonderful. Um, I, I love the atmosphere. A good restaurant, at least the ones that I consider good, would have a good atmosphere as well, like there'd be music playing, you know, the kind of music I'd like to listen to. You know, maybe there's, you know decorations or lighting or, or something that just sets the mood. Um, are you guys with me? Yeah? Um, some of our favourite restaurants... Oh, and sometimes even the bathrooms have music. I love music. Um, you know, when you go to, like, Dome down on the foreshore, they've got... They, I noticed it straight away. In fact, I probably... This has just come to me now. Otherwise, I would have showed you. I've actually got a video of my daughter dancing in the bathroom at Dome because it was playing jazz. And she, she just couldn't help herself. She just bust, had to bust out and, and get her groove on in the bathrooms in Dome. It's hilarious. And then my wife, who was in there with her, actually sent us this video. And then my son and I actually went had to go to the bathroom as well. And then he did it as well. Um, it's quite funny. But, yeah, yeah, so we love music. Some of our favourite restaurants, um, when... When, certainly when Sean and I had much younger kids and certainly when before we had kids, we'd love to go down to Margaret River. You know, that whole southwest region, the Bustleton, Dunsborough, Margaret River. You know, and we would choose, you know, the, uh, we had some beautiful restaurants down there. And then even as we had kids, we would go down to, especially to Bustleton for holidays. And, and then we started to tend to choose the restaurants that had great playgrounds. You know, because so the kids loved doing that. There's this, um, there's this great playground uh, down at Margaret, on the way to Margaret River that we would always make a point of stopping at. Also, th sorry, that, that first, this, this one here, that is just an example of a beautiful restaurant. But I've been to this restaurant. It's actually the revolving restaurant in Hawaii. 
at, uh, at very, very high up in Hawaii. So that's actually Waikiki that you're looking at. Um, and I didn't take that photo. I just Googled it. But, it's, uh, but I've been to that restaurant. Beautiful, beautiful restaurant. Someone playing piano. It's fantastic. And um, sorry? There's nobody. Well, you know, it's probably illegal to take those photos. Um, but I can just skip forward to the one that there's this venue that we go to called the Crooked Carrot. It's like halfway between Perth and, and like that Bustleton region. And, um, and we go there. We make a point of going there. One, uh, and we even time it so that we can get there for lunch because it, they've got such a good playground. It's like so big. Our kids love it. Um, and, so, and they've got really good food too. So um, this is not an advertising for the Crooked Carrot, but this is an advertising for... Well, I'm, what I'm speaking of is the reason you go to a restaurant... And like I said, when you have kids, it changes a little bit. I spent some time in America, in, in the US. I've been there for a year and then a year and a half and been to a lot of restaurants because that's what you do in America. You go, to, you go out to eat. In fact, it's almost cheaper to go out to eat than it is to cook your own food. At least that's the rumour. Um, so everyone goes out to eat. And, uh, and there are some incredible restaurants. The one that I thought of was this, it was in Texas, and it was a Tex-Mex place. I love Tex-Mex. Um, it's like Mexican, but Americanified. And, um, and it looks like a cave. So I've got a picture of it here. Uh, it looks something like that. I don't know if that's the right restaurant, but it looks like that. You see on the walls, they've decorated it like a cave. And uh, you, if you actually got a booth, it's like carved into the wall. And so you're like sitting inside this cave. And they had a fantastic food as well. But, like, they go all out over there for their restaurants. And, uh, and sometimes they even get people to come and sing, birth, sing, sing happy birthday to you, you know, like a four-part harmony. Um, it's, it's like they go all out. They got bottomless drinks, you know, so that you order one soft drink, but it, it, it's like a miraculous, like the, the never-ending box of Tim Tams. Like they just keep on filling it up. Iced tea. I fell in love with iced tea over there. Like, um, and you, like the experience of going out to a restaurant. Like I said, Americans have taken it a step further um, because of that, that experience. And it is like, uh, can I say, can I call it a consumer's paradise? A consumer's paradise. It doesn't actually require anything from me. I just got to rock up, enjoy the experience, swipe my card at the end, and, uh, and, and their, their hope is, is that we'll come back. It requires nothing of me. The consumer's paradise. This society has trained us to be consumers. And I think America is the one leading the way. It's probably why they're a little bit, they've gone a little bit further with it. But they've trained us to be consumers. And so when we show up, we, we, we expect this now. We show up, we go somewhere, we expect to be served and we accept just to swipe the card and to leave. And if we have a good experience, or more to the point, if my wife has a good experience, if I have a good experience, my kids have a good experience, then maybe we'll come back. And the truth is, if you don't have a good experience, you can simply choose another restaurant. But that's, that's part of the training. It's part of this consumer-driven mindset. You don't have any real allegiance to a restaurant. You might be a regular at a restaurant. You might go back and back and back, but it'll all be based on you. It'll all be based on how did you enjoy your experience and do you want to have it again? Does that make sense? 
You are not a contributor at a restaurant. You're a consumer. Now, if you happen to be a restaurant owner or a manager in, the, in the here, please, that is the right channel for you to be on. That's what you need to do. You need to make sure you look after your clients well. Absolutely. So here's the point I'm driving to. You're like, why is he talking? He's making me hungry. Why are you talking about restaurants? Um, here's my point. Church is not a, a business. Restaurants are a business and they should be consumer driven. Church is not a business. But because the world has trained us with this consumer mindset, we actually often arrive, rock up at a church. And this is the mindset that you have. Oh, if my kids get looked after well, if the music's just like the way I like it, if the, if the preacher impresses me, then maybe I'll come back. And, and, and if I continue to go back, then maybe I'll swipe my card and, uh, and, and not much will be asked from me. Now, I know I'm partially preaching to the converted here because I, I'm not necessarily saying that is who we are as a church. But this, this, the, the modern-day church has certainly fallen into this trap. It's, it's certainly around the world, and can I say especially in America, but in Australia as well. We've definitely fallen into this trap where, where we feel like we need to run attractive things, attractive programs, have, have attractive buildings, uh, you know, have an attractive light show, and, and etc., because we want people to choose our church. Because we need people to sit up, to be on the rosters. We need people to, you know, to give. And, and I'm just exposing it because that's, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And I, I know our church, it might, you know, we still do a lot of the same things as a lot of those churches. But the heart behind it can't be to make a business. In fact, I would, there, there are great things that you can do. So, for example, I, I've, I've been to lots of big churches. I've been to lots of churches with this fantastic cafe. In fact, I went to this massive church. It had a, like a 5,000-seat auditorium in the States. And their cafe was impressive. It reminded me of Disneyland. Um, like you actually had this, you know, you channeled people through really quick. You, you got your thing from here and then another thing from here and, you know, on a plate and then you go through and you pay and it actually literally reminded me of Disneyland. In fact, I heard that they, they had the person, one of the people who designed Disney World or Disneyland were actually designing their kids' ministry. Um, so this is, this is very common. And now I'm actually not saying that we shouldn't do things like have cafes and have bookshops. and I know of churches in Australia have gyms, like workout gyms, and especially in America as well. Like, I'm not saying those things are bad. What I'm saying is if the reason that we're doing those things is to make money, then maybe we're building the wrong kingdom. We need to be people focused on building the, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, not building the kingdom of Geraldton Baptist. Or insert name of church. Not out loud. We need to be people who are building the kingdom of heaven because church, the church of Jesus Christ, is not a business. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have a cafe. I'm not saying we shouldn't have a bookshop. I think they're great ideas. But the, if they, they have to be adding to the mission, if they start distracting from the mission 
then, then we shouldn't have them. And our mission is to be a culture of prayer and a culture of discipleship. Does that make sense? The church of Jesus Christ is not a business. Hallelujah. Thank you. So what is this word church? Let's, let's, get, let's do some Greek. I love pulling out some Greek. It makes me look smart. Um, the church, in, in the New Testament, this, the word that we translate as church is actually this word ek, ecclesia or ecclesia. Depends on who you are. Ecclesia is the pronunciation I like. Um, and literally what it means is call, a called out assembly or possibly a called out congregation is another word there. And I love how Jesus and the early church actually borrowed terms from the culture they were in because this is actually not a Jewish term. This is a Greek term. And an, an ecclesia in Greek term uh, was often referred to like a political assembly. People would gather together for the purpose of having a political discussion or a discussion about the law or something like that. It actually wasn't a, um, a spiritual thing. But the early church decided to call themselves ecclesia instead of a temple or something else. Because the definition has actually got nothing to do with the place. The emphasis here is we are a, a called out people. It's about the people. It's totally irrelevant where it means. The church is not the building. This the, these bricks and, and this roof, this is not the church. We often refer to it as church because it's where the church meets. But it is not the church. This, this is a building. It's a hall. It's an auditorium. It's, it's, you know, there's lots of different names. You, in fact, the church can gather anywhere because we are the church. We are the called out ones. Are you with me? The church is the people. You are the church. And so as we the church, the called out ones, we can meet anywhere. We can meet in a shed, we can meet in a house, we can meet in a park, we can meet in a hall. It's, it's all good. But we are, in fact, the church. And in the New Testament, that was a really big difference because in the Old Testament, the, the God's presence was actually found in the Holy of Holies, in the temple, in one place in the world, in, in Jerusalem. Like, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was and his presence. Like, and they could only go in it was only the most holy of the priests who could go in and he had to do all these rituals and cleansings and, and then even still, it would only once a year, he'd go into the most holy of holies to minister there and they would tie a rope to his leg in case he dropped dead in God's presence, in case there was some reason that he wasn't found worthy. Like, we've lost that kind of reverence, uh, but there is also some, a beautiful transition into the New Testament where... The Holy Spirit is no longer just found in this place, in this building. It's actually found in us. The Holy Spirit lives right here. I mean, I'm referring to our heart, and that's probably a cultural thing. If you come from a culture where the emotional seat is like down here somewhere, you know, that's cool. It's good, but he lives inside of us. Let's, um, so, we are the family of God, the children of God, and together we make up the ecclesia. Together we make up the gathered, the called out ones, the church. Let's read some Bible. Ephesians 2, uh, it's on the screen, 2.19. So you are no longer strangers 
and aliens. Now, let me just explain that. Uh, in Jewish times, it was uh, God and, and faith in God and religion to God was only for the Jews. And if you wanted to have a relationship with God, you'd have to become a Jew. And they were a fairly inclusive people, is, is my understanding. But, um, so, but if you weren't a Jew, if you were a Greek, uh, then you would be considered an alien. You'd be considered a stranger. And so this book to the Ephesians, now the Ephesians, it was a Greek city. And Paul was actually doing ministry to Greeks. Okay, and so this is a profound statement. So you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're no longer considered outsiders. But you are fellow citizens with the saints. I think that word saints there is probably making reference to God's people, the Jewish people um, as well. But basically all the saints who, who, who are following Jesus. But you are fellow citizens with saints, the members and members of God's household. We're in God's household. That's actually who we are. We're no longer strangers. We're no longer aliens. We are fellow citizens and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So you're starting to see some building language. Um, and you'll see it more in this passage. It's on the foundation that the apostles and the prophets laid down their teachings. And Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now the cornerstone in ancient building was you get that bit right because then you base the rest of the building off of that cornerstone. Like You've got to get that perfectly level. You've got to get that's the strong foundation that you build the rest of the foundation off of. So, that's, so Jesus, it's a beautiful illustration that Jesus is in fact that cornerstone. He, without him there, the rest of the foundations make no sense. Verse 21. In whom the whole structure, still using that language, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place. For God by the Spirit. We are the temple. And this is actually expressing us as a gathered people. As a called out, gathered people. We are the temple. Isn't that beautiful? So what's our purpose as being the gathered people? As, as like I mentioned before, the Old Testament was different. They gathered and it was about actually meeting with God in that place that was dedicated to him. Whereas now, we actually carry God with us all the time. And so our gatherings, like I said, they can be, they can be anywhere. I think it's beautiful that we've got this building that we've got no debt on. It, it, it means we don't have to rent somewhere. But it wouldn't matter if we did. Like if we rented somewhere. It doesn't matter where we meet. So long as we meet... Here's set more of our purpose. First Peter 2, uh, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race. Isn't that interesting language? You're a chosen race. And I, you know what? The beautiful thing is he wasn't just talking to one people group. He wasn't just talking to one nation. It's actually like we put down our identity as being Australian. And we pick up this new race identity of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Mm, powerful stuff. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people of his own possession, God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We proclaim the excellencies. I'll unpack that for you in a moment. Of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We're a chosen people, a new people group. We're a royal priesthood. See, in the Old Testament, you had to be a priest to do certain things in the temple of God. And the priest effectively stood between the people and God and ministered that relationship. But now, that's no longer needed because all of us who carry the Holy Spirit, all of us who follow Jesus Christ, are the royal priesthood. We no longer have that separation. All of us have that privilege, that relationship. And in fact, we get to minister on behalf of God to the rest of the people in the world. We're a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. We are his possession. We belong to God. That He's carved out a people of the people who would say yes to him. He carved them out and he made us his own. We are his possession. We belong to Jesus. Those, to, to become a Christian, you actually have to surrender your life. You have to give him your life. It's not good enough to just add Jesus to your life. That's not a chosen, that's not, that you, you, that's not what we're talking about. We're actually saying you've given your life to him, so now you belong to him. And it's a wonderful privilege to actually belong to the creator of the universe. It's one thing to say, he made everything, so everything, he owns everything. Well, he gave us the privilege, he gave us, he gave us our, our, our own identity. He, he, he gave us the world. So yeah, absolutely. He's powerful enough just to squish the world, like pop the world like a pimple. Like He's powerful enough to do it, absolutely. But he won't because he promised he gave it to us. And then he invites us back into this beautiful relationship. Isn't that wonderful? Mm. Amen. So we are called... Oh, I said I'd explain it. To proclaim his excellencies. Not language we use very often, so I googled it. And um, his excellencies, this is the meaning I found. So we proclaim his outstanding features. Or we proclaim his outstanding qualities. The things that are excellent about him. His qualities, his features, the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. To proclaim his excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. And that's a testimony, right? You have a testimony of being called out of darkness and now into light. You have that. Yours is different from everyone else. You may have similarities, but it's different. Yours belongs to you. And you have this beautiful story that you can share with people about being called out of darkness into marvelous light. And it is. It's so marvelous. We are to be people who know him and make him known. Mm. Church is not a business. Church is much more like a family. 
And you'll often hear me using that language, and I do it intentionally. And, and part of me, probably because this church tasting like a business has left a bad taste in my mouth, because it's not right. Like I said, not every element. I'm not, the truth is the government expects us to operate like a business, for as far as accountability and governance and, and yeah, absolutely. We've got to do all that stuff. So it, we, we can't help but do that. We have to have members meetings. We have to have budgets. Like, so there's an element that we need to, just to be honourable to this house, to be honourable to, to honour the giving that you guys have, to honour the government. Absolutely. But we, that's not who we are. We are much more like a family. Now, when I think of family, I remember, especially my mum's side of the family, these family gatherings. You guys have big family gatherings? Uh, so I'm the oldest, sorry, I'm the oldest boy, grandson. I had uh, one older uh, cousin uh, who was a girl. And uh, there was uh, between 20 and 30, I don't know, I lost count, cousins on that side of the family. My mum was like a sister of five. I think she had two, three, two brothers and... Three, I can't remember. She was one of three girls and two, two boys. Like, big family. And I would always remember, like, um, when we go to these gatherings at, at Nan and Bam Bam. Uh, we called my granddad Bam Bam because when I was little, we couldn't say granddad. Uh, and it, so it came out Gang Gang. Uh, so it, his name became Gang Gang for a while. And then he started to call us Bam Bam, like the Flintstones. And so we flipped that on him because... That's how old we were. And he became Bam Bam and it stuck it is for the rest of his life. Even his own kids, even his own wife called him Bam Bam. Um, it, was, it was really cute, but that's what happens in family, right? You get nicknames and, and it's fun. It's, it's wonderful. And uh, yeah, and he was Bam Bam. But I remember like um, a lot of Nan and a lot of the aunties and some of the uncles would gather in the kitchen and, and prepare food. You know, you prepare the salads our gatherings, my mum's side of the family is Maltese, which is why I'm so blessed with height. Um, they're all about this tall. Um, and, uh, but one of the things was pastitsis. Now, I don't know if you come from uh, what background you come from, but uh, pastitsi is quite simply um, uh, ricotta cheese wrapped in pastry. And, uh, but it was famous. You know, you dip it in sweet and sour sauce, and it was, um, it, it was famous. In fact, none of our family gatherings would happen without pastitsis. And even now, um, my kids, especially Hannah, loves pastitsis, and, uh, and she's always requesting them. The kids, like, and, and so the, the, the nans, and so, like I said, some of the uncles, and one nan, aunties, sometimes the uncles would gather in the kitchen, they'd be preparing food. Or, or maybe some of, the, some of the uncles would be on the barbecue, uh, you know, preparing snags or whatever. And uh, the kids would be running around, playing games, there was a pool there, and uh, so my nan's house was connected to one of my uncle's houses, and they just ripped down the fence and just had one big, one big backyard. It was great. And, uh, and the older cousins would often be the ones handing out the food, the chips and the, and the pastitsis, mostly so we get first option. Um, that's kind of how it was. Uh, sometimes the, the men, I remember, would have a project. I remember they built a retaining wall out the front of nan and bam bam's house. And, um, you know, they built a brick wall and started to backfill it and it fell over. And because um, they were really skilled builders. Um, and, and then they actually had to, you know, dig it back out and rebuild it and then build, put some braces in. And, uh, and I remember that was, that was a family activity. 
And uh, I was quite young then, but so we just got to observe how not to build a wall. Um, but that's, this is family, right? Everyone at, di- at the dishes time, everyone would pitch in. You know, everyone would grab a tea towel and, and many hands make light work. And that's what family is. Now, the church of Jesus Christ is much more like that. Well, it's, it's not a business. It's, it's not something that, that, the st- that you have to be on staff before you get to do something. It's much more like, what are you good at? What do you feel interested in? What are you passionate about? And there's a place for you in our family. Does that make sense? In 1 Corinthians 12, uh, I won't read it for, for the sake of time, but, but there's this beautiful passage. In, uh, so 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 17, if you're taking notes. Um, and it talks about being the body, the body of Christ, and how all of us are actually different parts of the same body. You know, some might be a hand or an arm, or some are a leg or an ankle or a foot or an eye. And it, and it, it kind of unpacks it. It all comes under one spirit. It's the one spirit who gives all the gifts. And we all, it acknowledges that we all have a different shape and we all bring something different to the table. But if the leg decides it doesn't want to be a leg anymore or, if, or it just goes to sleep and doesn't want to function anymore, like imagine if the knee just didn't want to function. All of a sudden, you could still walk, but it would be, be a bit more awkward, right? Or what if the whole leg decided it didn't want to function anymore? Then it would be really hard to walk. You'd have to hop everywhere. What if, the, the, what, if, what if my arm decided it, it wanted to be another head? <laughs> or the head decided it wanted to be a belly button? Like, I, <laughs> you can have a lot of fun with that. Um, sorry for all of you guys who think in pictures. But, um, but the, what, what we need to do, we need to identify what part of the body we are and simply serve. Simply serve in the role that you've been given. By God. God has shaped us in a certain way. Like this band. Like if everyone decided they wanted to play the drums. Like, cool. But what? There's only one seat. And there's only so many things you can hit at the same time before it just makes noise. And then where's the melody all of a sudden? You know, if, does that make sense? So we, as a family, we've got to figure out how, what does it look like for the Geraldine Baptist Church to function? As a body. Now we're in this, like I said, we're in this process of of kind of reimagining what our kids ministry uh, looks like, what our and now what our youth ministry looks like as well. And uh, the the truth is, I, I don't really feel like paying someone to do certain stuff is the answer. Uh, I, I truly don't. I, I really feel like actually simply paying someone to do stuff. Is, is a little bit, too, little bit too much like, oh, we pay that person to do it, so now I don't have to do anything. And I'm not, I'm not, saying, um, I'm not saying that to shame anyone or make you feel bad. I'm just saying that this is the training that we've received in the world that we live in. And we as the body of Christ, we need to be different from that. We need to look and feel different. And so this is, this is what God has put on my heart, I really feel like this is the right next step forward for us. But it's not something I can do on my own. I can't be the tongue and the kneecap and the shin and the ankle. Like, I can't even be in more than one place at once. I've tried. 
So we, we come up with this thing called parallel. Now, the reason we call it parallel is because what we're, what we're doing is I'm, I'm putting together all my 23 years of next generation's experience and, and, and we're doing something that's actually a bit different. I actually don't know of any other churches doing it this, this way. So, you know, please, we're going to have to learn together. So please be gracious, um, but I want your feedback as well. But what we, what we call the parallel because I want adults side by side with our young people, showing them how to follow Jesus. That's the definition of discipleship that we've been unpacking for the last month. And so I've created these flyers to kind of explain where we're at. Um, and so I've printed off a bunch. Some of you have, have them in your hands. Um, I'm just going to unpack that a little bit for you in a little bit more detail, um, but quite quickly. So, um, okay. So Parallel is our discipleship initiative. I kind of don't really like the idea of calling it a kids' ministry and a youth ministry, even though they still are. This is a discipleship initiative that our kids' ministry does and our youth ministry does. And it's a discipleship ministry for kids and for youth, ages 1 to 17. Uh, And as we introduce Parallel, there will basically be two main vehicles. I use that language of vehicles. There will be a kids' church and something we're calling small groups. And um, so let me just uh, broadly say it first. Uh, the year 10s to 12s, their, their, their midweek groups will still continue to meet. Ben and, ben and Grace, they, they love those guys so much that they actually want to continue doing those things voluntarily uh, alongside the, the rest of the team that they've pulled alongside. So we've got three of those groups that minister really well to our year 10s, 11s and 12s currently. And they're going to continue going. And so on a Sunday morning, I'd like to see the year 10s and 12s in here. Okay? I think by the time you're 15, you can listen to this. Um, and then, uh, so the first the vehicle is Kids Church. So we have something called Kids Church at the moment. This is going to be a little bit different. This is basically uh, only going to be our early childhood people. Okay? So one-year-olds, so basically walking up till year two. Now, please, if you have a year two, and um, we're actually going to go with 2024's numbers, 2024 year twos, all right? So next year's year twos, because we're starting this halfway through the year, and I feel like it would be better to keep them together. But if you have one of those kids who are on the line, um, I'd, I'd come and talk to us about where, which vehicle you want them to, you know, to go to, kids' church or the small groups. But, yeah, anyway, okay. So um, kids' church is... What we're going to be doing is uh, they'll actually go out there for the whole service. So they won't come in here first. We're going to have check-in open before church. And they'll actually have their own worship in an age-appropriate manner uh, over there. I think developmentally it'll, it'll feel a lot safer for our little ones. Um, because moving them around, if you know anything about developmental stages, that's actually when they start to feel really unsafe. Um, but if they get dropped off by mum and dad at the ed block and they're picked up by mum and dad at the end block, they have the same carers in an environment that's, that they enjoy and they can experience, you know, discipleship in. Wonderful. So that's, that's the idea. Uh, and hopefully we'll start week one next term. That's the goal. Okay? So, um, and the, what we'll be doing, we're actually, there's this um, world-renowned curriculum called the Orange Curriculum. Uh, I've used it before. And... Um, it's probably the most expensive curriculum in the world, but we got a 50% discount 
because we're regional. Um, so yeah, there we go. Um, and what the reason I've chosen this is because it's based around the idea of the church and the families working together to disciple the kids. Red representing the church, yellow representing the family, and when we're working together, we're thinking orange. Does that make sense? They've got a whole book on it if, you want, if you're interested. And so how we do that, there'll be a video, you know, there'll be, they'll do worship over there, they'll do teaching over there, they'll do a craft and other activities and other, other, other activities. But um, then through the week, you as the parents will have something in your hand that you can, you can actually watch the videos they watched. There's actually gonna, there's an app called Parent Q, and you'll have the video on your app. And then on the app, there's different prompts for you to reiterate what they were learning on Sunday. And so uh, those prompts are at morning time, at drive time, like when you're driving to and from school, cuddle time, you know, when you're reading a book or whatever, uh, and bath time. And there's just little things that you can say uh, or stories that you can read or activities that you can do that's actually going to reinforce what they were learning on Sunday. And so all of a sudden we're working together, church and families, to disciple these kids. Does that make sense? There's a lot more detail that I don't have time to share. Now, the next vehicle we want to talk about is small groups. Now, this is the bit where I feel like I'm reinventing the wheel a little bit. Um, so our year threes to year nines will split up into small groups and meet in the old hall around tables. So they'll come in here for worship and for announcements, etc. And then at the end of worship, they'll go into the hall and they'll have 30 or 40 minutes to, to be relational and to, be, and to read the Bible together. Okay, so, um, and this is where I really need people to uh, jump on. I've already, I mentioned this last week and I've already had some people put their hand up, so thank you. Um, but, so what I'm, what I'm aiming to do is have a, a one group of year three fours, co-ed, one group of year five sixes, co-ed, which has the potential to split if they were all here at the same time um, into boys and girls because uh, there's six of each. Um, and, but they're not all here at the same time. <laughs> and then have a girls' group of year sevens to nines and a boys' group of year sevens to nines. Okay, so that's, that's our hope. Um, and what do you do when you're there? Well, the first thing, we've got to calibrate being relational and with biblical teaching. That's the challenge. And I think that's actually the fun as well. So the first thing you'll do is, hey, how was your week? How can I pray for you? You go around the circle, you find out how their week was, you find out what their prayer requests are, and you pray for them. It's really, really important for everyone, but especially for young people, to feel like somebody knows me. They know my name. They know what I'm going through right now. And sometimes when I've done this, especially in the boys' groups, it goes around so quickly. Uh, how's your week? Good. You know, <laughs> you know, over time, over relationship, you'll start to draw more out of them. But sometimes it's like, actually, can we play for, pray for my grandma? She's really sick. She's in hospital at the moment. And then all of a sudden, they're showing you a little bit of their heart. They're being a bit vulnerable. And you're there. And you're asked. Nobody else was asking. Okay? So the small group leaders, the first job is to be relational. Uh, the second job is then to open the scripture together. So it could actually just be the Bible. Uh, it could be a, a video that's based on the Bible, depending on the age. Or it could be uh, a testimony. It could be a devotional book. There's lots of different things we could do. And 
I'm going to try and resource that the best way I can. Um, but the beautiful thing is we have the opportunity for the year three, four group to be doing something different from the year five, six group, to be doing something different from the year seven, nine girls group, to be doing something different from the year seven, nine boys group. So it's much more customizable. Um, but that doesn't mean we'll always do that. But I'll, I'll be... Um, and one of the tools that I want to use is the Uversion Bible app, because you might not know this, but it's actually got videos on there now. Um, like if you search for preteen Bible study, it'll actually come up with the preteen Bible study, which is perfect. And it's free, uh, which is the right price. So, um, uh, so I, could, I could say a lot more. Uh, the philosophy is we need to calibrate relationship and biblical, te- biblical discussion. So it's quite simple. How was your week? How can I pray for you? Do some Bible, discuss, and then at the end, go relational again with whatever time you've got left. I'll give you all you know, or you can play spoons or something but on your table so you're not distracting all the other tables. But basically, it's healthy to end relationally. Um, do you want to do the other song? You guys come up. Yeah. Yeah, come up, come up. Um, and just while they come up, I'm just going to explain. If you're one of those people who's sitting there kind of going, I don't know if I can do that, this is what I'm asking you to do. This is it. Now this, we have this fantastic pepper tree out the front that grows like a weed. And my son, who's homeschooled, um, one of his projects, he started to whittle. So he decided to whittle himself a sword. Now he got it to a point and then he had a big blister on his thumb and then he wanted to put this handle on and he didn't know how to do that. So he came to me, his dad, and said, Dad, can you help? Now I'd never made a sword. I'd done a bit of whittling, but I'd never made a sword and I was just like, I don't know how to do that. And maybe that's how you're feeling when it comes to making disciples. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to answer that question. The point wasn't that I knew how to do it. The point was that I'm older, I'm more mature, I had a bigger knife and a thumb that didn't have a blister on it and I came alongside of him and, and I helped. And then I got my tools out and I drilled a hole through here. He initiated it, it was his idea. My job was to come alongside him and bring what I had. Like I said, you'd be surprised what you have compared to a 10-year-old. And I had power tools. He doesn't have power tools. Um, And then we had this idea. Oh, what are you going to do for the handle? This is actually an old bicycle inner tube that we glued on to make it the handle. He loves this thing. And part of the reason he loves it is because he made it with me. That's what I'm asking you to do in small groups. Is to come alongside our young people and bring what you've got. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you've loved us enough to carve us out as your own people. Thank you that you have actually equipped us to make disciples. We've got everything we need. We have a Bible. We have your Holy Spirit. And that's all we need. Help us have humble hearts. 
that don't expect to know everything. Help us be teachable. And help us just simply come alongside these young people, Lord. So that we may learn together. So that we may grow towards you together. Side by side. I'm often humbled at the questions my kids have. They make me think and they draw me closer to you. So Lord, help us be a house that makes disciples. A house who prays and a house who shows our young people how to do that. Come with us into this week and into the rest of our lives because we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If that has tickled your heart at all, come and talk to me. And uh, there's even roles where you don't even need to speak to the kids. I just need someone to be responsible and just make sure that everything's safe. So there's other roles there as well. So please come and talk to me. Read it in the flyer. And uh, over to you guys. Thank you. you were forsaken I'm accepted you were condemned and I'm alive and well your spirit is within me because you died and rose again are you forgiven? I'm forgiven because you were forsaken I'm accepted, yes, Lord, you were condemned, and I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died and rose again. Amazing love, amazing love, how can it be? That you, my King, would die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. And it's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor.